Well, hello, hello again, and welcome to Mondo Rando Radio on MidtownRadio.ca. My name is Randolph J, and the premise of this show is a simple one. Each week we host intimate and interactive chats with familiar friends and fascinating strangers about their passions. What are those passions? Well, week to week it could be virtually anything. It could be ice sculpting, gin rummy, paper mache, anything that gets our guests excited is bound to get us interested as well. Now our guests week to week will be sharing their fondness for the various subjects that help shape who they are and occasionally they may even share their strategies for dealing with everything else in life. Of course, any opinions expressed or experiences shared will be unique to each guest and should not be taken as official advice to any particular listener. Please remember to always put safety first when trying out any new activity and listener discretion is always advised. Today's program is a great one for anyone who's ever considered writing a book but didn't really know how to begin. We'll be discussing the printed word with our good friend and local author, Paul Langen. You can learn more about Paul and find links to his works at paullangen.com. That's P-A-U-L-L-A-N-G-A-N, paullangen.com. And if you have any other questions, please do feel free to ask them. My email address, radiorando at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook under Mondo Rando. That's two words. Mondo Rando. And so then, let us begin this week's program, a lovely chat with a lovely man, Paul Langan. Paul Langan, thank you so much for joining us today to talk a little no bit about, about book writing. <laughs> no problem. Now, last oh. week on the program, we had uh, Stephen Gregg, who is a very accomplished tap dancer. And when I asked him at the end of the of the chat, what what hobby he would like to get into or what is what is something that he's always been interested in knows very little about but would love to learn more and he said absolutely he wants to learn about writing because he is there is a book in this man he is a lot to say a lot of great he he told me that he wants to publish it you know posthumously though because he wants to name names i said you don't have to name names do what you want to do (laughs) but but he wants to learn about writing a book and i i thought well who better to have on this week to talk about something fun and exciting and especially the world of writing i can't think of a more prolific local writer than paul langan so tell us how are you doing Randy, I'm doing great, and I love to talk about it. Uh, and, you know, honestly, I'm more of a historian that collects information and puts it into a book than like a fiction writer. I actually, I find that uh, challenging. But the, the process to publish is the same. So exactly. it doesn't matter. But, yeah, no, I feel I'd love to talk about it. In fact, uh, for me, who started it in the 90s, the old-fashioned way, and now with Amazon KDP, I I want everybody to go out and, and do it because it's just so easy to do. Excellent. All right. So let's let's go back to the beginning because we've got a bit of time here together. So let's start sure. with your own story. So you 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 came to this region when? Yeah, about 94. And, you know, there's so much history in Hespler. I know, uh, you know, the whole three communities thing. And there's uh, – but Hespler has a, a, a huge history. And when I got here, I mean, the, he- the furniture factory, my wife – in 1925, her parents took the train from Leamington here to pick out the furniture for their house, and the Hesper Furniture Factory shipped it by train to Leamington. So, that, so, where, so yeah. where were you? Where were you living at the time? I'm in I'm in Windsor, and and my growing up with Hesper is all about the hockey stick, as we all had the Hesper <laughs> hockey stick when we were young. So, um, 
when I came here, there was there was some history that I was interested in, and I wanted to put out these little booklets. But back then, it was a very to self publish did cost a, a fair amount of money, and and so you might have to do a, a printer would say to you, well, you have to do a minimum five hundred bucks or two hundred bucks or something. So you had to put out a couple thousand dollars. And quite honestly, some of the topics I was interested in or anybody's work, you don't know how much it's going to sell. You could have 199 in your closet 20 years later, like yeah. I did. <laughs> so, so you know, it, it was harder then. Now, there were more publishers, so you could send your product out to more companies to see if they would publish. But again, what I was doing was kind of niche stuff that – it was never going to sell, you know, a couple thousand or five thousand to make that publisher money. So that was never an angle for me. But there were more publishers there for people that were writing stuff to send it to to get rejected. Yeah. Um, now, had you had you written anything before you came out here? Were you always a writer? Did you start off as a child with a journal or a diary or anything along those lines? No, I was a musician. I was a musician, a failed rock musician, uh, and I also did folk for a long time. And 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 until the three hundred records in my closet took up too much space. Uh, so yeah, no, my uh, creative outlet was 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 music before. So, um, uh, but uh, but fast forward twenty years, and and that's what we we should talk about because uh, really the game the game changed, and I know. Some people don't like Amazon and, and all that crap. But really, as someone that wants to put out your work in a written form, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. Amazon KDP changed the game. Right. And it doesn't matter how niche. doesn't matter no. how. If, no. if, you, if one person buys it, no. one person buys it. You put out no money on your own. I mean... So I can give you a great example. On a Thursday night, I uploaded this monorail book because it's just a Word document, right? You upload Mm -hmm. to Amazon with your cover. The next day, it was approved on Friday. Saturday, a guy in England ordered it. He had it Monday at his house. So from Friday morning in Canada, it was in that guy's hands Monday. Awesome. Incredible! That is what a time to be alive. There oh, are so you, yeah, you can't. And they pay you. They pay you. They they pay you yeah. right away. You don't not right away, but at the end of the month. So, um, you know. So, and like you said, there's no. You only buy as many copies as you want, right? Yeah. So, so that's the only thing you have. The only reality is you have to have your ego in check. So don't yes. order a thousand books for yourself if you only <laughs> sell three at your book release. Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't don't spend a truckload of money for no reason because there's no reason to spend any money. I mean, now I even do my own covers. Like I usually use Fiverr. Do you know? Does your people know about? I, I, I'm familiar with it. I've never used it, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah. So yeah, you can get a service anywhere around the world. I would. I've used this one guy in Pakistan to do my covers. Same guy now for three years. He does great covers, but it's only like $17. Right. You know, it's a bargain. It's a bargain. Well, I can do it on Canva myself, but it would take me longer than $17. Well, I was going to say your own time is worth money. Yeah, right? it has to be worth something. Yeah. Now, let me, so let's back up here. So, first, let yeah. me tell you people where to find you. Paul Langan, 
Langan.com is the website. Paul Langan is L-A-N-G-A-N, paullangan.com. And there's a light, nice listing of the different books you've read. How many, now when we say books, these are, how, how many pages are these books? How yeah, so that's a good question. And that's a good definition too. It's like, what's a booklet? What's a book? So a lot of mine are booklets. So I would say under 100 pages, but um, they do go up to 500 pages, right? Mm-hmm. But I try to average 100 to 200 pages because I pick history topics where sometimes there is no more information. Even if you use every postcard that was put out on that town, there's no more. So the topics I picked, like I just got done one on Adelaide Park, which was between Hesper and Preston, been gone for over 100 years. I mean, it took me forever to find enough for the book, like just because there's only so much that's out there. Right. And so, um, yeah, so booklets and books from uh, 100 to 500 pages. Right now. now, So let me let me go to where you first decide, because you say you weren't a a writer to begin with. Now, you moved it to to the what was then the Cambridge area, which in the 90s was already Cambridge. Yeah. You as an outsider, you didn't grow up with the whole Preston. No, no, no. I like I like trains and. Um, so I thought I, I heard about a train crash and, and this, again, this just lucked out. I heard about a train crash that happened, you know, at the, the underpass at GCI there, yep. there was a famous train crash that happened in the fifties. And sure enough, in the nineties, the parents were still alive that went to it. And of course they brought their kids to it. Mm-hmm. So this booklet called tragedy and Gulf that was one of my first ones, it sold like a thousand copies. I went, Oh my God. You know, I'm a rock star, you know. I just didn't realize that the whole town went to it at the time. And a lot of the town was still alive to buy the book. Now, fast forward to now, I re-put it out last year because in 30 years, a lot more information came out. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I sold about 500 copies two years ago, but Mm -hmm. that's because everybody's dead. So (laughs) history is only relevant if you have a relevant, if you can relate to it. So, so anyways, when I did that first book, booklet, it was only 32 glossy pages. Uh, and then when I first got here on that train crash, I, you know, it was a success. And then I happened to do another one, which I got a neat version of it coming out soon. It's about that Coombe home, you know, Irish kids coming over from uh, England, home kids sent here. Then they got put out to the farms. Yeah. No homes. You heard about all that. So, Nobody was talking about this in Hasper, right? And because somebody had said to me, oh, there's the Coombe. That was the place where the Irish kids went, right? And then one of the older uh, people in town, Bill Croft, had said, you know, I never really liked the way they walked to school in a line and we threw stuff at them and they were at the back of the class. And I said, well, this is pretty, pretty neat. And then uh, that one I just lucked out because there was people alive that were in the Coombe, not Irish kids, but soon after Children's Aid took it over, and their stories were were unbelievable. Like I'm just a middle class guy from Windsor, right? I, I wasn't ready for people in their 80s crying to you telling the stories. It's right? and it's heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. Oh, well, yeah, because they were first of all in the early 1900s in Canada, it was hard anyways. But if somebody was just getting this kid and treating them like a slave, it was awful. Um, the the thing about that place uh, is. A person from overseas, like one of the Irish kids that came here, eventually ran it for a while, and he was awful. This man was awful, 
And the stuff he did, I mean, like I, I knew one woman I interviewed, her, her daughter could not get her in the car to drive past the place. And we're talking seven years later. Wow. You know, and, and the stories were, you know, the beatings and stuff. Anyways, I didn't, I didn't, I could have made the book a lot more, not sensational, just a lot more horrible, but I kept a bunch of the stories out. Anyways, that's so between So between the train crash and this, let me, let me ask you this. When you got here to town, when did you first put pen to paper and decide, you know, I think I might write a book. Did you, did you have a subject matter first, the train crash, or did you think I want to write something? What will I write? And then you chose the train crash. And then how did the process unfold? Yeah, well, it started, it just started with one of them. I can't remember what the day was or what the decision was. I was, because there was a cost to it, right? Yeah. I, you know, I think all told those books were $2,000. So back then we had a young family and it was, it was definitely something, it'd be something now. And what, was your, uh, what was your day job at the time? What were you doing? I, I worked for the federal government. Uh, yeah. Um, I can't remember what the final trigger was to say go for it because there was a, a certain amount of risk. Um, but, well, one of the things, nobody does history stuff in this area. So back then I was you know, the only one. And now I'm the only one down here south of 401 on a regular basis that does the history stuff, right? Um, so I just went for it. Um, it was simpler, though, too, back then because you had the Cambridge Reporter, the Cambridge Times, and you had John who had the book Express at the Mall. That was it for marketing. You sent the press release. Uh, by fax to the Cambridge Times, the Canadian Reporter. I <laughs> called John. I called John. I said, "Can I put my books in the mall?" And that was it. Oh, I put two ads in the came. Uh, I have the still still have the ads. I think they were one hundred and ten dollars each, which was a lot of money. Two three by three ads, and that was it. Like if they did a story on you, you that was because as you know back then the papers were really strong. Now they were they were being read by people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now, how do you get the message out? That's we can talk about that later. But I mean, back then it was pretty simple. And nine times out of ten, they would do a story, and that—that's enough. That's enough. And you know, I would do a little book release thing at the senior center or something. And uh, um, so it, it was easy once you said yes. And the guy in town that printed it in Kitchener. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I you know, I took the risk, and on those two books, it turned out good. So what was your what was your process? To, uh, how long did you go from deciding to do it to putting pen to paper? Because that's the first step. You decide to do it, then you actually have to start to do it. Did you work every day? Did you work on weekends? And how long did this? Because the first one was thirty odd pages. Yeah, yeah. So once again, I kind of w- work fast. It was harder to work fast back then because you did have to do a lot of more in person stuff. So you would have to go to archives and look through them. They weren't online. Uh, and then a lot of stuff wasn't online. So I did a lot of phone interviews and driving to meet people, um, uh, which, you know, today there's a lot more different options. But I would say I would say I know for a fact I did four books in thir- four booklets in 13 months. So once I went, and I had a little bit of a positive thing that, mm-hmm. you know, thousand i never sold a thousand records <laughs> anyway so, so that's why i thought let's keep on this and then i had we had children so i had to uh postpone my hobby um while we raised the children but uh um yeah no i yeah yeah i it 
because then it's a format, right? It, even back then, it was a format. Just it was Word Word Perfect One because I, I I have those old, you know, and you know it wasn't e as easy as it is now, but it was a format. You just brought that floppy disk into the <laughs> into the printer, and uh, he would set it up, and you know. Yeah. But I imagine I imagine a lot of it is just breaking down your timing your your time management and finding yes. the place and and if they are you know they're not huge tomes you're not you yeah. know sorry weathering heights it's not you know war yeah. and peace so you can yes. you can you can you can narrow your focus and when you're doing the type of material that you are and Paul does a lot of as you may have gathered from what we've talked about so far hyper local specific incident yeah. uh, specific uh product and specific yeah. topics and yeah. when you are that specific you don't need a thousand pages book you know no. you you know you, you you tell the story till the story is done and then yeah you move on to the next story yeah but i mean i will say i now as far as then too but definitely now you know because people always say that about you know about me and it's not really um i'm i'm, I'm not i'm not really that driven in the sense that what I do is I just take out the distractions. So, I mean, Jesus, I could sit on YouTube all day and I could watch crap or I could learn all day because I do. Yeah. So what I did, for instance, from 6 to 7 a.m., I said to myself, I'm going to learn about KDP. I'm going to learn about LinkedIn or whatever, the, because I didn't know. I mm -hmm. didn't know. So that's good. But now it's like, I don't, don't, you're wasting time. Like I, I know people that, have a hobby that they do it all the time. Well, you're not going to have time for something else if you're golfing all day or, you know, so this is my passion. So I don't, uh, even though I ran youth sports for a long time and all that stuff, I, I still, I, I just, you try to take out the crap, you know, even when you're online, don't just stay focused. <laughs> well, wait, there's no, there's no point watching crap on YouTube when you can write your own crap. That's right. That's right. And people say, why'd you pick that? I don't know what the hell. I, so, yeah. Yeah. So tell us some of the topics that you have covered. Well, um, so the first time around I did, a, I did, like I did one on the Preston Springs hotel. That was kind of oh, yes. funny because uh, the guy at the time, I guess it was 2000 or 1999. doesn't matter. The guy that was doing a really good job, he's spending all this money, really committed, you know, he was going to hand my booklet out at the dinner when they opened it, you know, and I had found the original um, invitation to when the Hagmeyer brothers, and he was going to use that invitation again. So I was, now, was, so it, was this when they were going to re repurpose the building and use yeah, it for those who, for those who don't remember, or maybe if you're tuning into us from pretty far away, a lot of our conversations today is going to be hyper local. So apologies if you, if you don't know what we're talking about, but this yeah. particular facility, the Preston Springs was a landmark, yeah. a, a massive building with zero parking, uh, yeah. right where fountain meets King street as uh, it's been around for for decades, I think Babe Ruth stayed there. Isn't there a famous story? Yeah, there? yeah. So there's a there's a lot of history. Uh, so that was you know that went okay. Um, and I did one on Glen Christie. Uh, it's now a ghost town just north of the community here. So you know I got that out of my system. But then uh, what happened with uh, just before COVID, I retired, not knowing that COVID was going to hit too and keep us at home. And that's when I uh, that's when like you know, the bombs went off as far as, you know, let's go full throttle on this. And plus I started to back away from my community sports involvement. 
So uh, with that one, um, it's funny, the topic that, <laughs> so I learned KDP, my first topic, because uh, I like transportation stuff. So you talk about hyper-local. This is just Canadian-wise, but it's still obscure. It was called the Forgotten Monorails of Canada. <laughs> so, so I researched every province and said, did they ever have a monorail? And if not, how many times did they say they were going to have a monorail? Did you did you include the teep, the one at the Toronto Zoo? So that one's actually not a monorail. That's like a it was on a cement platform. Like a monorail is one rail and it goes over top, it goes over top of the monorail. That rode on top of um automated people movers. So they called it a monorail. Yeah, they do. And that's a common misconception. But we did have a couple expo. Um, Expo, yeah, we all had one for a long time, and uh, but we we did have so, anyways, I did that, and then you know, I went province by province. So, I, I learned a lot of the new research things out there on the internet, which is how you get historical stuff. And uh, so, I put that one on. Now, I never, I, I mean, it's such an obscure topic, but I was a member of the Monorail Society on Facebook, <laughs> on Facebook so I knew 10 people would buy it, and um, but that one gave me the that process gave me the courage, knowledge about how to go, how to do it, how to how to make it a, a routine, right? How to yeah, the steps involved, right? And 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 so after that, I, I felt I could do anything because I've done the most of well, I thought at the time most obscure topic, but I've topped that. But, but the uh, topic, the topics don't matter for someone that's tuning yeah. in right now and wanting to write a book. The topic doesn't matter because no. they're going to want to do their own topic. They're going to have right. their ideas, that's whether right. it's fiction or nonfiction. That's right. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I had a good experience this past weekend. A young writer from Cambridge. Uh, she's uh, at Guelph studying uh, journalism, and second year. She's, I, you know, she put out a book of her own poems. Right, used Amazon. You know, she learned the whole thing. Of course, they learn it quicker. But she was, you know, she goes. I want to do it. And I said, I'm going to do it. I said, why not? Great. I was so proud of her, right? She, she put it out there, right? And I bought one and I thought, you know what you're doing? Because, you know, I mean, not everybody thinks this way, but I don't get when you create things and don't let the public see it. But I understand some people create just for the sense of creating. But I that's really that's their business. They can do it. Yeah, they, they want can to do, do it. They they want. Can, yeah. But so, so yeah. So uh, when I first, and then, like I said, uh, between 1990 and now, the internet, how you search and the more things that are available, just it's just easier. And there's well, I don't know if it's easier, but there's more out there to find. So, so the the golf book I did again, uh, the tragedy of golf, the train crash one I did again, and I did uh, I did um, Glenn Christie again. Um, so I, these are local communities. I just I did another one on uh, Beaverdale Fisher Mills because a lot of people think they're roads. Well, no, they're actually villages and the roads now, but at one time they were yeah. villages. Yeah, the, the thing that's really neat is that um, it's there's always this, you, uh, you give something up. So it's easier to make a book. Yes. It's harder to get everyone in one community to read it because there's so many other distractions going on. But at the same time, you now have access to the globe, which means someone living in Honduras yeah. that's fascinated by monorails. Yeah can get a hold of your book about monorails and people oh. will, if they're passionate about something to know that someone on the other side of the planet is doing this little niche book. It, there's yeah. a market out there, you know? No, there, there sure is. And one thing I'll say though, that the uh, couple, well, if you want to go in a couple of directions, I'm going in, but 
one of the things that's happened that's real is audiobooks. Yeah. And uh, definitely in the senior side, but I, 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 I'm also thinking younger. But I mean, my. You're a junior uh, senior. You're a junior yeah, senior. No, no. My demographic is readers, definitely 50 plus. People, they don't read as much. It's, it's audiobooks. I don't know how many people I run into, they, whatever they're doing, an audiobook. So you got to go there and learn that process because that's, people just aren't reading as much uh, anymore. And the other angle that I'm doing, and it's because I have some, I did a couple of books on musical uh, history of um, mm-hmm. certain artists because as time goes on, they get forbid, uh, forgotten. They were from the 50s and 60s. Uh, there was another woman from Galt, uh, fantastic history. But I, instead of doing a book because there's some tragedy in her, I was just going to do a, a YouTube history, like a video of 12 of her songs with a you know a link to a bio, right? Because yeah. – I just wanted to get into that too, just because it, people aren't reading. <laughs> well, no, like, but he, but hang on, don't forget. Yeah. If you have an audio book, yeah. the person that's doing the voice is reading, so it has to be put down on paper. So the, yeah. it, whether it has to be read or not, yeah. it has to be written. Well, you work for the federal government. You know almost everything. It has to be seen to be written, but it's not written to be seen. <laughs> I know everything about having a meeting. Yeah. So the, the point is, the point is whether you read it or not, it still has to be written. Yeah, no. And, and, and so I, I've bought into the audio book and I've definitely looking forward to next year when I do different forms. Other you have than, a great, you have a great voice. You, you could do audio books without too much. Well, I'm, 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 I'm trying, I, I almost might have to, because, uh, you know, we get back to that price thing where, you know, looking around a thousand dollars, I'm thinking, come on. Like I just, cause with the print book, yeah. it's, it's nothing. It really, I mean, even it, it really isn't. Cause you just, you don't, you, Amazon doesn't charge you a dime. Yeah. So, uh, so with the audio book, I don't, I know you got great readers and all that, but I am thinking of, there's gotta be a way to put out this stuff. Uh, cause my books don't make back a thousand dollars. Some of them. <laughs> But I think, oh, honestly, I think for those who do read audiobooks or listen to audiobooks, I should yeah, say, yeah. one thing that I've heard that people really appreciate is when the author is the reader. Because everything, whether it's a nonfiction book or not, the the author's voice is always a part of the piece, especially the stuff that's hyper niche as you're doing. Yeah. You, you want to know who the man is behind the words. And so I would highly recommend reading it yourself and to do it all you need is a halfway decent microphone and the time to do it and a quiet space to do and the of course you need to write the book first right right no no and 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 no i hear you and i and i i'm leaning that way (laughs) that way and the other the other thing i want to do is um fiction which is very hard for me i there's authors in this cambridge authors group i belong to that write four or 500 pages of fiction, uh, like twice a year, they put out these tomes. It might be on sci-fi or fantasy or whatever the yeah. topic is. But boy, when it comes to fiction, I just struggle, right? Because I had this crappy English in high school a thousand years ago, and I use very, I use good, I use very boring words. You know what you could do, though? You could write a 30-page factual history of something and yeah. then just make up the rest. And then you well, make yeah. up, and then you've got a fiction book yeah. with a little bit of history in it. Well, that I, I did, I did do my first one. It's funny you said that. I did do my first one called Sabotage and Hessler. 
basically a factory here in town uh, in the First World War. I was researching something else, and all of a sudden it said, uh, sabotage in Hespler, uh, German spy in Hespler. I went, oh, I got to get this one. And sure enough, um, there was a, they were making bombs for the war effort, and there were German spies over in Canada, and they came here to espionage to destroy the factory. So, so the only problem is, other than three newspaper clippings, and that's not enough for a booklet. So I had to make up the rest of the crap. <laughs> but it was fun. <laughs> it was fun, and people believe it. So, <laughs> well, well, and the thing is, as long as you're straightforward up front, you say, you know, yeah. this is, you know, some of yeah. this is extrapolated from. Yeah, you know. we call it uh, uh, creative, uh, creative fiction. You know, creative nonfiction. You got some word that kind of says you're BSing, but not really. Something, something that will legally indemnify you if someone decides yeah, to take this fair. and cite you in an academic paper. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, because I, I guess it, because you're doing historical works, do you do a lot of citing, and or do you have an academic background in that regard, as far as you know, citing your sources and? Yeah. So no, no. So I'm, I'm. Well, I'm very good at that. Now I don't. So my wife is taught university for 30 years and has walls of publications. So uh, as far as what I've been drilled in my head, it's all, I always reference where it came from. Yeah. And, and the reality is the majority of my stuff comes from somewhere. Uh, so yeah, no, I don't have a problem with that. And um, maybe the format of the references isn't probably the greatest, but as long as I, you know, even with my photos, my latest one, uh, Four artists at Hespler, you know. Anyways, doesn't matter. I I make sure wherever I got the photo or the information from is referenced. Now, is is Deborah? Is she your first editor? Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Not after forgotten monorails of Canada. <laughs> oh, that was a, a bit of a tone for her. <laughs> Yeah, no. How, how many, you know, they, they call monorails, they call them the Widowmaker because, yeah. you know, you write a book of a monorail. <laughs> yeah, read that one, boy. <laughs> She'd be dying if she's in this room. Um, uh, but there is a woman in Cambridge, and I'd like to give her a shout out if I can. Sure, of course. Uh, her name is Catherine Muss, M U S S, and you can reach her through the Cambridge Authors Facebook page, or she's the Word, word Lady or something on, on the internet. Catherine Muss. But wow, wow, what a great, she edits proofreads. Uh, what's the one before uh, proofreads? She's a beta reader? She's a beta, reader. Oh, beta yeah. reads it for you. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Randy. So she does all these, and she's really nice. I did do one other fiction story, and uh, I mean, the Amazon people that are buying it says it's crap, but she was so nice. <laughs> she was so nice to me. Like how she how she tells you. So if anybody needs, and she's very reasonably priced because, you know, uh, I have used her on, on several books that were bigger that I got to get it right. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, and so, yeah, big shout out to her. Cause that's a thankless task and she's got the people skills to help you. Right. And it is worth paying for because people's oh. time is worth money. You, you oh, can't expect you got, people you to got it. Yeah. yeah. There's no, yeah, no. And she's very reasonable. Like, yeah, I've had her beta read a few things, and uh, I think my 500-page one she edited. You know, uh, yeah, no, no, you, no, you can't unless unless you have that skill set. 
Mm-hmm. Lot to you. So let's uh, we're, we're with uh, Paul Lang, and uh, Paul is uh, a local. Well, he's a retired. Uh, he's a retired individual. Yeah. I, it's fair to say. Uh, Paul Lang is a local author who has really carved out his own niche uh, here in Cambridge, and in particular in Hespler as a. a as a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? As a a chronicler of great Hespler stories. I, I'm on his website right now. It's paullangen.com, and uh, we've got releases here between two, 1998 and 2002. There were a number of releases that are now out of print, but as you say, Amazon will allow you to reprint those without too much hassle. Correct? Yeah, although I've updated some of them. Okay, so if you're on the books page, yep. you can see all the books. So. Yeah, so we've got yeah, classic. That's ho- good because I don't. I'm not on that page. So you, I will say some of my topics are national. I mentioned the monorail book, but I did a neat one on a shipwreck that happened in the north. That's actually my most popular book on Amazon booklet. Uh, there was a crash of a of an ocean liner coming over from Liverpool to Montreal in the early 1900s and. Uh, it crashed and it was just a horrific story. And I found out about it because there was a Hesper couple that survived and they got married. But the story itself was great. I mean, there was a strike in Liverpool. They hired all these scabs when the ship ran ashore. The scabs, laborers robbed all the people. They were stranded on and on. It was just great. Is this, is this called the Shipwreck of Scotland? Yeah, Shipwreck of the Scots. So this, and this just came out last year. Yeah, and it that one uh, I was on CBC uh, for a radio show out there. Well, people like history of Newfoundland, and of course, the shipwreck. And well, I think people. One, yeah. Well, no, I was just say people like a good story. Yeah, and that's why fiction, nonfiction, it doesn't really matter because when you're listening to something, when you're engaged with something, it's as real as it needs to be for the time you're tuned in. And as long as you know objectively and intellectually whether it's a true story or it's not a true story, that's 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 more academic. But to be involved in the story. Who cares if it's true or not? Yeah, and that one was, and I, I, I lucked out. I found an old 19, 1910 uh, interview with a person that was the photographer on board, and he had photos. So Yeah, so let's look at some of your recent releases yeah, here just on talk, the website. Okay, well, whichever one you want. Well, no, <laughs> I'm just looking at the page. No, because, I mean, I thought Norm Foster was a prolific guy, but I'm looking at your 2022 releases. So this is just last year. We've got the Canadian brucellosis incident am i saying that right okay yeah that was the, a, the, that was my first fiction yeah you got sh- about um my job part of my job was ensuring that the transportation of dangerous goods of infectious substances in the federal government so basically there's very dangerous things that are handled in the winnipeg lab very dangerous things that handle another risk group for labs we all know about this stuff that brucellosis is something that was used in the 40s and 50s as biological warfare. And Canada supported Britain and England and manufactured this. Right. And I can't tell you the whole story, but bottom line is one day I got a call, one of our labs in a certain part of the country had a whole freezer load of brucellosis cultures. And they were left over from the biological testing in the 50s. So in the wrong hands, these things can be very bad. Well, no anyway, kidding. So, so my job was to get it moved in the dead of night from one lab to the other lab without bad people finding out. So that's the simple part of it. And, and, and this did happen. This was my job. And it was 
And so I, I researched it, and I know the exact scientist that was doing that research in the 50s. But again, we did cooperate with the British and because the Nazis were uh, using it. So that's why we got involved. Not brucellosis, but they are doing biological warfare. Anyways, sorry. That was fascinating. No, yeah. don't listen. That's fascinating. I, I, I think that's going to draw some people to your website for sure. <laughs> well, the, the fiction, the stories, I mean, it happened. <laughs> All right, so so we got the, but I'm just saying, in 2022 alone, yes. uh, the Canadian brucellosis incident, yeah. the shipwreck of Scotland, Via yeah. Rail Canada versus the public, the history of fisher mills in Beaverdale, play yeah. and coach hockey life like 1959. Oh, play and coach hockey like 1959. Fiasco, yeah. you got uh, uh, sabotage in Hespler, the 1969 yeah. tri mono trans high speed monorail proposal, <laughs> and as far as titles go, that just rolls off the tripping. <laughs> 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 but well, that sold seven copies, but it was fun. But it's really no, but the the if you can't, I mean, there's always the quality versus quantity. So whatever the level of quality, you've got the quantity box checked. Like that's, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But, well, the, you know, the playing coach hockey one is a neat one. Uh, so when I was growing up, and my dad gave me this blue booklet, there was three put out, and. Uh, there's a huge, I can't tell you how big hockey historians and collectors and researchers are. There's an international hockey research uh, society. I, I, it's, you can't imagine how small and insignificant, how detailed this group is around the world. They're unbelievable. So when I put this out, which I thought was the most obscure thing, three hockey instructional booklets, I found them i had one my dad had given me i had the other three i i you know put them changed them from to text formatted them again i put them mm -hmm. all in this one i thought it was a really neat obscure thing not obscure in that hockey world but and then i ran into the guy uh, i found the guy's son and then i just got 1950s film of the drills they gave then, anyways, it's fascinating. So, who knew the playing coach hockey like 1959? Well, hang on. Let me. Okay, let me just. Yeah. Let me, maybe you're a little too close to this. Let me back this up for you. Yeah. Why? How would you think writing a book about hockey in Canada and picking a topic that hadn't been really explored? How, why did you think that wouldn't drive people well, to to well, see? Because people are. Hey, this is a hockey country. People love yeah, hockey yeah. here. Yeah. Some some things. Some things. That one's a good one, but only the historians, like, how did they teach hockey? There was only one book before these three booklets. Mm -hmm. So in these films, there's none. These are the original, these are the first films in the 50s of how to teach somebody how to play hockey. In fact, the Russians borrowed these films, and that guy that did these booklets worked with the Russians to help them on their hockey back then. Excellent. So, and, and, yeah, you know, and, it and it worked. Pretty, they they got very good. They got very good. Yes, they took the, they took that those films to town. But I'll tell you, and this is the, I imagine since this is 1959, this is before helmets. So helmets was not in, among the. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny, you know. Some things haven't changed, like the drills and how you teach people certain skills, but the equipment, yes, that has changed. The goaltending <laughs> philosophy has changed. It was an error to go down back then. Like get up as soon as you can is what they said. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you've fallen in that, get back up. We should actually mention because uh, among your among your booklets, play and coach hockey like it's 1959. Uh, you are a huge supporter of local sports. I know this, and I don't know if you want to chat about this at all as well. But uh, in addition to the in addition to the prolific literature you're putting out, uh, mm -hmm. the amount of 
of uh, knowledge and work you've done with local sports is really great. And you've really managed to um, codify the history of it, which is something that people forget. You take it, you take it for granted. And it's just yeah. you know, 20 years from now, you go looking for the history and it's not there if someone like you isn't there to chronicle it. Yeah, no, and I, yeah, I'm a big supporter in youth sport and, and uh, more now than ever with, with the uh, video games and all that crap. So, yeah, and, and and COVID and the mental stress that our youth are facing and, you know, the, yeah, so, no, I I have done that on and off for 28 years now. And, um, yeah, that, but that makes, you know, that that is uh, just, I always think, uh I was kind of brought up that way. My dad coached me in sports. We all, you give back, right? So yeah. I, you know, I've never been without. So you give back. And when I did the Scorpions, probably the most proud thing I is, none of our stuff costs more than a hundred bucks, right? I mean, we never refused one kid in 12 years, the volleyball, they couldn't pay, right? That's so great. that kind of stuff I'm proud of. But anyways, so what's some more? Let's not get into that stuff. Let's, right. let's get into the books. What's, well, listen, so I'm, I want to talk about. I've got some other books here. Yeah, these are these on. are among among the releases uh, from 2021. So this is a couple years old now. Okay. Uh, Tales of Opera, Waterloo County region. And I know. Oh, I know here we go. You're in that one. I, I love. I'm a big opera fan. I love opera. So tell us about this. Tell us about the Tales of Opera. Well, that, that definitely falls into the category of, so I only do books if the history hasn't been done on them before. So there's no sense. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. So so that was a great example. As you know, you you were with uh, my son in, in, in his uh, opera days, and that's when I got into it. And I said, nobody's done this history. And there was over 100 years. And I thought, well, I'll do it, <laughs> right? Because I knew how to assemble information. Uh, you know, I knew... It wasn't going to be a big seller just because the amount of people that like opera, as you know, is dwindling as they die off. And um, but yeah, that one made me feel good. As far as never been done before, now you know after my time's done on the planet, was there opera in this area? There's the one book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> did you have a favorite uh, story from that book or no? Well, I'm thinking about that one. Um, well, oh well. Uh, there was a fella, he's still at West. When we had Oktoberfest here and it was really popular in the 70s, they ran huge operas there. And this person, his memory was great. He went year by year telling, it's the best chapter in the book by far. It's like you were there. He went through the blow by blow of the five years of putting on these giant operas. So I guess the October Oktoberfest chapter and the fella that took the time he sent me page after page he just nailed it excellent okay so that's that's tales of opera waterloo yeah. county region uh waterloo uh, tales of opera waterloo county or waterloo region from 1885 to 2020 and you can find that and information on all of paul's other works at his website paullangen.com and uh, so now what is what do you have working on that what are you working on in the future well um the ones this year, the ones this, the one, you know, which one I want to talk about real quickly is an interesting sure. one is uh, the hockey pulp one I did. So, are you familiar with pulp magazines in the forties? Oh, of course, yeah. of course. Okay, D- okay. dime novels they used to call, it. yeah, exactly. So, um, in the sports pulps, which were big, uh, of course, hockey wasn't big in the sports pulps. Baseball, boxing, basketball were the main sports in the states. Yeah, horse racing um, as well. Horse racing. Yeah. So here's the scoop. I, I I found, geez, hockey was in there. And in the 40s, you know, you only had radio, 
pulps played an important role. Now, these stories, as you know, probably aren't necessarily great. They're paid a penny a word, and some would put out a gazillion of these. But hockey wasn't as popular. So what I did is I, and they're not on, some things are on the net, and there's a there's a pulp Google group that's uh, thousands and thousands of catalog. But for some reason, uh, uh, they don't have sports pulps. That That's not readily available. So that was hard to find. Anyways, I put out a book on sports pulps. The interesting part about that is all these hockey researchers didn't treat that with respect, right? Because it wasn't who played for this team in Quebec in 1921 for one day, you know, when you – because. Pulps didn't get, but that was it. it wasn't. It wasn't about the stats. The stats didn't matter. Yeah, it was a no, story. it was a story about keeping you know the same damn story. But I mean, it played an important role in hockey history when the game wasn't on in the forties, mm-hmm. in the thirties. Anyway, so that book was very rewarding um, for me. So you asked about what does it say this year? I, I've done, and then we can keep going. So here, here's what's come out this year, according to yes. your website. Yes, uh, we've got monorails in magazines, uh, 1918 to 1970. That went great. Uh, a, a gripping read. That is. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. That's, that's there. Okay, so another one. Uh, Hespler, a sustainable community moving forward. That's another title. You have three parts of the history of the Chantones. That's a, a band, was it not, or a vocal group? Yeah, so that is the one avenue I went off. So Chantones and Brothers-in-Law were Windsor acts that, as time went on, people die, people forget. That was Windsor's most popular band. They backed up a Jack Scott rockabilly legend on all his hit records. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, and and three guys were alive. Here's a good example. Three guys were alive. By the time I was done the book, two had passed. Oh, no. The last guy. And uh, the other one, uh, Brothers-in-Law, which is a big popular folk trio from Windsor, there's only two alive. So you got to capture the oral history. You do. And what a, what a great gift for their families, too. Oh, they loved it. They loved it. And, you know, and I told them, listen, we might only sell a couple hundred. It's because it's been so long. Everybody's passed, right? Yeah. That would like it. But I, I was really proud of those. Uh, okay. And we also had Hespler's Hidden Secret, The Coombe Home, which we talked about earlier. And that, The new that's... one's coming out. The new one's coming out. So it's a lot bigger. Here's the fun one for you. All right. I love this. October 14th, so I have an expanded version because in 30 years you get more info. Yeah. Sparrow Brewery, best brewery in Hespler, is mm-hmm. doing a special Hespler hidden secret lager beer. So on October 14th, we're out there. He's only printing 200 labels, 200 beers, two, I got 100, no, 100 beers, 100 books, and we're putting out. It's going to be so much fun. Oh, all right. We'll be find out about that on your on your social yeah, media. On your yeah, we're starting right now. We okay. Fourteen days out, we start, but yeah, it's only from noon to one on a Saturday because the place is back the rest of the day. Well, well, send me the link. I'll pass it along. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Uh, so okay, so we talked about some of the different releases that you've put out, and these yeah. are, as you say, the, the the size of these books and booklets ranges. Yes. So for the for the 2024 calendar, so we're we're just coming. I mean, Christmas is coming. So there's a lot of great Christmas gifts on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so what what topics? Now, do you get interested in more than one topic at a time and spread your yes. and split your time that way and yes. just and commit to one and finish it and then do the next, or do you kind of piecemeal? You always got a few going. Yeah, at the same time. Uh, you always got a few going. So the four artists of Hesper is going to come out before, uh, and that's Frank Pannenbaker. You know, he was. Can well, we're wide famous, yeah. and Shirley Brent, um, Vera Passenberg, and Debbie Ellis, who's with us. Um, and these so, are topics that are coming out, these are topics, coming yeah, out four, four heart, four hours at Hesper. But, um, 
Orville, there's a neat one coming out in the new year. Um, Orville Shaw, uh, the bandit from Skunk Misery. Um, so he's legendary down Chatham Way. Legendary story, Canada's most notorious bandit. I can't wait to get it out. It's been in a couple uh, historical stuff, like two or three pages. Yeah. I'm doing the whole story. This guy, legend. So Orville Shaw, the the bandit, the skunk misery bandit, because there's a skunk's misery is a swamp area uh, east of Chatham that All he's right. hiding. But yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, Excellent. Yeah. Uh, oh uh, well, train one. I'm doing. Uh, because I, you know, my other hobbies, high speed trains, uh, Bombardier's, uh, the rise and fall of Bombardier's jet train in 2002, they actually built a prototype, prototype high speed train, tried to sell it in Canada and the United States. Of course, it was the wrong time, didn't sell. But uh, so I do do the uh, train book. So that one's, that one's going to be that one. Um, geez, I should have my own thing open. That's a, Some that's of them a, I haven't put down, but I have about, uh, have about four, four on the go right four now. Four on the go. Now, so, so let me ask you this. When you sit down to write, because this is kind of the interesting thing, because yeah. everybody has their own way of doing it, and every artist yeah. works differently. Yes. Uh, do you do you set a certain amount of time a day aside, and you say, I'm, I'm going to, no matter what, I'm going to work from these hours today. I'm gonna sit, even if I'm staring at a blank piece of paper, I'm going to work for two hours on this and then move on to something else. Or is it kind of you just make notes to yourself and compile them at the end of the week? How do you, how do you work? How do you do it? Um, that's a good question. So I think anybody, you have to compartmentalize things and the, <laughs> and I'm not really good at this, but you have to learn how to do the hard stuff too. So for instance, uh, I already sent you the, the little promo clip for the possession. Yes. Well, maybe I should write the book first before I have the promo done. So that's, <laughs> but it's more fun for me to do a video clip. And so that's why I'm doing more. Well, and you're, and you're also more, you're kind of obligated to finish it now that you've got the well, promo. That's right. You've sent people, you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I have a few book covers that I have to catch up as far as what I said I'm doing and what's done. That's what the, you know, that's what um, American international pictures used to do. Samuel Z. Z. Arkoff was yeah, his name. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. he used to get a poster made. Yeah. And he would take it to the investors, and if they liked the poster, they'd make the yeah. movie. Yeah, that's and, great. And because it's a faster way to do it, you know, you've got people already hooked to see it. So yeah. now we now we might as well make it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it makes it makes sense. Oh, there's there's um, a neat one I'm working on, but I can say it's going to be uh, it's going to be an audio. This was a neat story. So I was researching a book, and it said. Uh, Virginia Belfair, child prodigy pianist. She was eight or nine years old. Stories on her in the old Galt paper. And she's playing in Toronto and play, Massey Hall, playing in Windsor, different symphony orchestras she's playing with. You know, this. I said, well, what happened to her? Well, I searched and I searched and she disappeared. Like she literally disappeared. And then I can't remember how I got the break. But what it is, is... She turned back up as uh, in her 20s in Toronto. Her name was Jeannie Grant. And she was this great jazz singer in Toronto. Um, but it was an unbelievable story because her parents, when she was young, were so hard on her, caused her mental health problems throughout the rest of her life. So her stories in Toronto have a lot of tragedy to it. But on the plus side, we have these recordings 
that she put out with CBC and she was on, she was around for over, you know, 20 years. Uh, so I'm going to put out an anthology to her. Dolph's nice. forgotten uh, jazz singer. And nobody would know, nobody knows about her, right? And yet she's been, she was fantastic. But that, you know, that's the great thing about writing and writing, whether you're writing music, you're writing plays, yeah, you're writing yeah. books, somebody somebody else remembers. And if yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're never really gone as long as someone remembers. Well, yeah, so. I, I got one of her friends in California sending me stuff. I got a 90 year old guitar player in New York yeah. sending me memories, but yeah, no, you're never gone with yeah. the internet these days. Although that, that was it. That took me a couple of years to, that happens where I'll, I'll start something and I can't, I can't, I have another woman, her name's Linda Lane. She was in Kitchener, famous singer. Um, in the 60s, late 60s, and 70s. I can't find her. I, I'm all set to do the book. I just can't find her. Well, that's the other, that's one of the drawbacks I imagine when you're working in nonfiction is that you are subject to the world. You have to wait until the information is available to you. And if you're writing fiction, you can just make up whatever you want. Yeah. That's its own challenge. But when it comes to writing nonfiction, it's, it's done when it's done. You can't, you can't hurry it. You have to well, find the stuff. You have to dig through archives. You have to uh, rely the on, on the integrity of other people to give you accurate information. Well, the Brewster book, the descendants of the Brewster family, my 500 page history of Hessler book, 15 years, they wouldn't give me permission to do it. And I kept saying, all these people are dying that would buy the book because it's really old, old history, Hesper history. Who, right? who was it that was denying you permission? Who would deny the, you? The, the family, the estate. Oh, okay. And, well, and, then, and then eventually I put out so many books and you know everybody in town says, hey, he's okay. Or somehow they thought I was okay finally. And, it's, <laughs> and, and, and it, it was just a joyous experience for that family, descendants, and for yeah. me. But yeah. if I had done it, be able to put it out 15 years later, a lot more people would have well, they, but then you would have had to go the Kitty Kelly route and become the un, unauthorized biographer. And well, that's, yeah, that's... No, I, yeah, I don't do that. No, no, I, I would have, I, I wanted to wait. Uh, anyway, so yeah, no, boy, it's fun. You're asking me everything. Uh, <laughs> you're killing me on the. I'm rambling on because I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. So you, well, let's, let's, life is a conversation. Life, life is rambling, as you know. And you just go where you're going. And we're, I'm just delighted that you have a few minutes to talk with us because I know that uh, I'm really I'm really keen to see the book that my friend Stephen writes because he is a fascinating guy. Yeah. And for him to be able to hear uh, hear how the, the, the mind of a writer meanders and wanders. And yeah, that's, it that's does. a good thing to learn. But it does bring it back. and Not exclusive to writers, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Musician. Yeah. Song, yeah. Yeah. Focus is... Uh, Focus is the key, and uh, you got to keep physically, uh, mentally healthy. Like you got to do stuff to clear your head once in a while. Otherwise, you be, you become like a crowded uh, memory stick. Well, no, I know, I know, I know. I, say, I know, I know. You blow off some steam down at the Legion from time to time because I see you. <laughs> That's right, with Jim down there yeah <laughs> uh, now let me ask you before we let you go first of all paul lang and thank you so much for spending a bit of time no you know in, meandering around with me here and because <laughs> you and i i i we're we're both we're both uh yeah we, no, we both, I, we're both yeah. tangential of mind i think it's yes, a safe very much so very much uh but before i let you go first of all let me refer people to the website it's paullangan.com and uh, you can learn all about uh, Paul at paullangan.com, a full list of the, the, the releases he currently has out there and available. And you can contact Paul directly. I think that's safe to say if people want to get in touch with you, they can find you straight through your website. Is that right? Definitely. Okay, yeah. before I let you go, uh, this has just become a thing we do now. 
Uh, if you were to, because I mean, you're a very busy guy, and I don't imagine you have a lot of time for additional hobbies and uh, and pastimes. But is there something when you look back at your at your long and storied life and career? Is there a hobby? Is there something that you always kind of had an inkling that you'd like to pursue but just haven't done? Well, no, you you great question. It's pretty simple. Um, so the the theater side we're talking about there before like i like to do that um but uh, i've been the music i put aside for the longest time but i really i all set to do the groups called the irish settlers it's anybody that's came over to canada from ireland in the last since 1850 and uh i want to do that so um i'm going to put together some people and just do that like uh, just the irish angle because uh as, as a book? Or as, always a wanted, as a group, yeah. Something yeah. I always wanted to do. Um, like we do the bluegrass on Tuesday nights at the Legion and Friday afternoons they do old rock and roll, you know, everybody jams. But I wanted I want to do that before my time has come. So, oh, you want so you want to start a Celtic band? Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Now what Yeah, now, it will be fun. You know, we'll be fun and uh um now you know you already know a fair bit about Celtic music though. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, I, I love it. Yeah, I love it. And, uh, but yeah, so yeah, so join my band and uh, do Irish. <laughs> well, do you need a sousaphone? Yeah, it's the problem with your instrument. It's not really. Uh, you know what? You know what? That's small thinking. Who's to say that thirty <laughs> years from now people won't look back? And if you thirty years from now if you're starting an Irish band without a sousaphone, they'll think you're yeah. crazy. They'll think you're yeah. nuts. My, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's going to happen. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking. Thanks a lot, guys. Right. My pleasure. You have a great afternoon, great evening, whatever time of day it is, wherever you are. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Take, Take care, care, buddy. And that will just about do it for this week's conversation with our good friend, local author, Paul Langan. I hope, Paul, if you're tuned in, I hope you enjoyed that chat. I know I did, and I hope our listeners did as well. If you are tuned in right now and enjoyed the chat with Paul, or you have any questions at all for Paul, I know he would love to hear from you and be happy to answer those questions to the best of his ability. If you are interested in learning to write, putting pen to paper, getting started, Paul is a great person to talk to. He's a great local resource. And, of course, if you have an interest in local history, he is a great person to connect with. You can find him by his website, which is paullangan.com. That's P-A-U-L-L-A-N-G-A-N, paullangan.com. Thanks again, Paul. We really do appreciate it. And, of course, you can touch base with me anytime as well. My email address is radiorando. That's radiorando at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just look for Mondo Rando. It is two words, Mondo Rando. Also, Instagram. I always forget about Instagram, but we are there, Mondo Rando Radio. That is on Instagram. Don't forget, if you have a passion about something, if you have a hobby that you'd like to see bloom into something larger, or if you simply want to hear a conversation about something you're already passionate about, or if there's something you're curious about and would like to hear from someone who's been doing it, either professionally or as an amateur, let me know and we'll start that conversation. Always glad to hear from you and get your feedback. Next week's program, we will be featuring someone involved in Celtic music. Paul had just expressed an interest in Celtic music, so I'm going to do my best to find a guest for next week. That's TBD to be determined. We'll see who we can get. Uh, In the meantime, though, get out there. Have a wonderful weekend. Be sure to stay tuned for more great programming on Midtown Radio 
www.thepodcastshow.ca. But that will do it for me. Uh, Go have some fun, and whatever you do, try your very best to make someone happy. Bye-bye for now. Bye.